Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord gave them into the hand of Midian seven years. And the hand of Midian overpowered Israel, and because of Midian, the people of Israel made for themselves the dens that are in the mountains and the caves and the strongholds. For whenever the Israelites planted crops, the Midianites and the Melotites and the people of the east would come up against them. They would encamp against them and devour the produce of the land as far as Gaza and leave no sustenance in Israel and no sheep or ox or donkey. For they would come up with their livestock in their tents and they would come like locusts in number. Both they and their camels could not be counted so that they lay waste the land as they came in. And Israel was brought very low because of Midian. And the people of Israel cried out to help to the Lord. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord on account of the Midianites, the Lord sent a prophet to the people of Israel. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt and brought you out of the house of slavery, and I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians and from the hand of all who oppressed you, and drove them out before you and gave you their land. And I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. Now the angel of the Lord came and sat under the cherubim at Ophrah, which belonged to Joash, the Abiezite, while his son Gideon was beating out the white wheat in the winepress to hide from the Midianites. And the angel of the Lord appeared to him and said to him, The Lord is with you. O mighty man of valor. And Gideon said to him, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, why then has all this happened to us? And where are all his wonderful deeds that our fathers recounted to us, saying, Did not the Lord bring us up out of Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. And the Lord turned to him and said, Go in this might of yours and save Israel from the hand of Midian. Do not I send you? And he said to him, Please, Lord, how can I save Israel? Behold, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh, and I am the least in my father's house. And the Lord said to him, But I will be with you, and you shall strike the Midianites as one man. And he said to him, If now I have found favor in your eyes, then show me a sign that it is you who speaks to me. Please do not depart from here until I come to you and bring out my present and set it before you. And he said, I will stay till you return. So Gideon went into his house and prepared a young goat and unleavened cakes from ephah of flour. The meat he put in a basket and the broth he put in a pot and brought them to him under the terebin and presented them. And the angel of the God said to him, Take the meat and the unleavened cakes and put them on this rock and pour the broth over them. And he did so. Then the angel of the Lord reached out the tip of the staff that was in his hand and touched the meat and the unleavened cakes. And fire sprang up from the rock and consumed the meat and the unleavened cakes. And the angel of the Lord vanished from his sight. Then Gideon perceived that he was the angel of the Lord. And Gideon said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. But the Lord said to him, Peace be to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then 
and Gideon built an altar there to the Lord and called it the Lord is peace. To this day, it still stands at Ophrah, which belongs to the Abiris Terites. That night, the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull and the second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the Asherah that is beside it, and build an altar to the Lord your God on the top of the stronghold here, with stones laid in due order. Then take the second bull and offer it as a burnt offering with the wood of Asherah that you shall cut down. So Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had told him. But because he was too afraid of his family and the men of the town to do it by day, he did it by night. When the men of the town rose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was broken down, and the Asherah beside it was cut down, and the second bull was offered on the altar that had been built. And they said to one another, Who has done this thing? And after they had searched and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, has done this thing. Then the men of the town said to Joash, Bring out your son, that he may die. For he has broken down the altar of Baal and cut down the Asherah beside it. But Joash said to all who stood against him, Will you contend for Baal, or will you save him? Whoever contends for him shall be put to death by morning. If he is a god, let him contend for himself, because his altar has been broken down. Therefore, on that day, Gideon was called Jerubabal, that is to say, let Baal contend against him, because he broke down his altar. Now all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the people of the east came together, and they crossed the Jordan and encamped in the valley of Jezreel. But the Spirit of the Lord closed Gideon, and he sounded the trumpet, and the Israelites were called out to follow him. And he sent messengers throughout all of Manasseh, and though they too were called out to follow him. And he sent messages to Asher, Zebulun, and Naphtali, and they went up to meet him. Meet them. And Gideon said to the Lord, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said, Behold, I am laying a fleece of wool on the threshing floor. If there is dew on the fleece alone, and it is dry on the ground, then I shall know you will save Israel by my hand, as you have said. And it was so. When he rose early the next morning and squeezed the fleece, he wrung enough dew from the fleece to fill a bowl with water. And Gideon said to God, Let not your anger burn against me. Let me speak just once more. Please let me test just once more with the fleece. Please, let it be dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground, let there be dew. And God did so that night, and it was dry on the fleece only, and on all the ground, there was dew. And Jeroboam, that is Gideon, and all the people who were with him rose early and encamped beside the spring of Paris. And the camp of Midian was north of them, by the hill of Moreh, in the valley. The Lord said to Gideon, The people with you are too many for me to give the Midianites into their hand, lest Israel boast over me, saying, My own hand is saving. Now therefore, proclaim in the ears of the people, saying, Whoever is fearful and trembling, let him return home and hurry away from Mount Gilead. Then 22,000 of the people returned, and 10,000 remained. And the Lord said to Gideon, The people are still too many. Take them down to the water, and I will test them for you there. And anyone of whom I say to you, This one shall go with you, shall go with you. And anyone of whom I say to you, 
his son shall not go with you, shall not go. So he brought the people down to the water. And the Lord said to Gideon, Everyone who laps the water with his tongue as a dog laps, you shall set by himself. Likewise, everyone who kneels down to drink. And the number of those who lapped, putting their hands to their mouths, was three hundred men. But all the rest of the people knelt down to drink water. And the Lord said to Gideon, With the three hundred men who lapped, I will save you, and give the Midianites into your hands. And let all the others go, every man to his home. So the people took provisions in their hands, and their trumpets. And he sent all the rest of Israel, every man to his tent, but retained the three hundred men. And the camp of Midian was below him in the valley. That same night, the Lord said to him, Arise, go down against the camp, for I have given it into your hands. But if you are afraid to go down, go down to the camp with Purah yourself. And you shall hear what they say, and afterwards your hands shall be strengthened to go down against the camp. Then he went down with Purah his servants to the outposts of the armed men who were in the camp. And the Midianites and the Amalekites and all the people of the east lay along the valley like locusts in abundance, and their camels were without number, as the sand was on the seashore in abundance. When Gideon came, behold, a man was telling a dream to his comrade. He said, Behold, I dreamed a dream, and behold, a cake of barley bread tumbled into the camp of Midian, and came to the tent and struck it so that it fell and turned it upside down so that the tent lay flat. His comrade answered, This is no other than the sword of Gideon, the son of Joash, a man of Israel. God has given into his hand Midian and all the camp. As soon as Gideon heard the telling of the dream and its interpretation, he worshipped. And he returned to the camp of Israel and said, Arise, for the Lord has given the host of Midian into your hand. And he divided the three hundred men into three companies and put trumpets into the hands of all of them, and empty jars, and torches inside the jars. And he said to them, Look at me and do likewise. When I come to the outskirts of the camp, do as I do. When I blow the trumpet, I and all who are with me, then blow the trumpets also on every side of all the camp and shout, For the Lord and for Gideon. So Gideon and the hundred men who were with him came to the outskirts of the camp at the beginning of the middle watch, when they had just set the watch. And they blew the trumpets and smashed the jars that were in their hands. Then the three companies blew the trumpets and broke the jars. They held in their left hands the torches, and in their right hands the trumpets to blow. And they cried out, A sword for the Lord and for Gideon. Every man stood in his place around the camp, and all the army ran. They cried out and fled. When they blew the three hundred trumpets, the Lord set every man's sword against his comrade and against all the army. And the army fled as far as the Shittah, towards Zerubbabel, as far as the border of Abel Nahor, by Tabak. And the men of Israel were called out from Naphtali and from Asher and from all Manasseh, and they pursued after Midian. Gideon sent messengers throughout all the hill country of Ephraim, saying, Come down against the Midianites and capture the waters against them, as far as Bethgarah and also the Jordan. 
So all the men of Ephraim pulled out, and they captured the waters as far as Bethlehem and also the Jordan. And they captured the two princes of Midian, Oreb and Zeb. They killed Oreb at the rock of Oreb, and Zeb they killed at the wine press of Zeb. Then they pursued Midian, and they brought the heads of Oreb and Zeb to Gideon across the Jordan. This is the word of the Lord. Well, uh, thank you for, uh, to Andrew and ask the truly heroic collaborating. Um, it is uh, wonderful to be with you. Uh, good morning. Uh, my name is uh, Derek. I have the great privilege of uh, sharing with you this morning. Um, uh, I am uh, the father of Andrew, and after much consideration, yes, the strongest in my family. But first, uh, let me let me this. Uh, God, we thank you that we get to spend time together to listen to your word in the Bible, uh, to consider what it says, and to reflect on how it can shape our lives. Uh, help me uh, this morning to be clear and faithful in speaking what you want us to be, and help uh, all of us to be clear and faithful in how we understand and respond to the Amen. Well, the longer I'm part of this church, uh, the more impressed and more aware I am of some of the amazing things that people can do. Um, all manner of things that are so great that uh, I know I just can't do. Uh, that's what I do. Uh, so music, singing, cooking, and baking amazing things, writing half marathons, being fluent in different uh, languages, all sorts of things. Uh, really great. Uh, the list goes on. Uh, all wonderful things, all things that are fantastic uh, for people to do, but all things that I can't do. Perhaps you'll like this too. Perhaps uh, there are things that you admire in others that think, ah, oh, I just can't do that. Um, there's a sense in which that's right, isn't it? God's made all of us different, all of us different gifts, different powers and abilities. Uh, and recently in one Corinthians, um, we've seen how everyone has different gifts that we can use to serve each other and serve our world. But I suspect there are times when we kind of use that, I can't do that, as a kind of excuse. At times when we know that something is good, but we think, well, I can't do that, and so I'm not going to try. Uh, a few years ago, I taught a year eight math class, uh, and it's really common to see in maths uh, students kind of give up and not try. Um, they will say, oh, I've never been good at maths. Or my parents aren't good at maths, my brother and sisters aren't good at I just know that I'm not going to be able to do it. And so I won't try. Sure, maths might be good and important, it's great for other people who are good at do it, and you know, I'm sure it's fantastic for them. And, you know, I'm just not good at it, at least I don't think I'd be good at it, and so I won't be Sometimes I even get a sense that. Um, Students actually don't even want to be good at it. Um, it can be like this with our Christian lives. So we see things in other people that are great, um, not just the way they use their gifts, but people who are courageous in telling other people about Jesus, or who are proactive in inviting them to church, or who are super, uh, super faithful in prayer and lots of lots of gifts, sacrificial in serving other people or super generous in giving their money or their time, or even just really disciplined in just feeling holiness and godliness, or persevering in the really difficult 
we know that these things, the self-interest, the volunteering, the generous, praying, stealing holiness, we know that all these things are great. We know that it's great to be doing these things. But sometimes we think, well, I can't do it as well as those people do it. And so, well, I want to try. I mean, it's good. People should totally do that. But it's other people who should totally do that, not me. Uh, when I was in my 20s and I first left my job in engineering to go into a full time ministry, um, I discovered that lots of people had the same kind of attitude towards Christian ministry as they did towards being in the army, with possibly middle class But their attitude was being, being in Christian ministry, being in the army, it's a very noble thing to do. The people who do it should be totally respected and honored. But there's no way that I'm going to do that. And there's absolutely no way that any of my kids is going to do that. God needs to choose someone else. Uh, we've been going through the book of Judges. Uh, and right at the beginning of the series, uh, Mike gave a children's book, a kids' book, where he described what the judges were. Uh, and we were shown that we shouldn't think of the judges as like legal figures, uh, but more like this. So this picture, and I don't think um, actually this picture, um, uh, we see the judges. They're more like people who led God's people in battle. So you see they've got the, the body or the physique of a bodybuilder. But their job was also to lead God's people in obeying God and following Him. So having something like their head of our minister, Huey, for whom I'm very thankful for the team. Uh, that might be enough of that slide, though. Can we go back to the other one? Yeah. Um, now, sometimes the judges have the flaws that are really obvious and somewhat horrifying, but at other times we look at the judges and we see that they do really amazing things. Um, so, such things are so good or so big that they seem unrealistic to us because. They're turning the whole of God's people of crazy idolatry away from disobedience to God back to God. And they defeat whole foreign armies and oppressive and rescue God's people. I mean, it's amazing, but I'm just not going to do that. So, the story of Gideon is actually a really good story for us. Um, because Gideon takes really a lot of God to judge. He just doesn't want to do it. And he shows us what it means to have faith. What it really means to trust God. So, point one in our outline, our Gideon's story tells us and shows us that God is patient with our doubts. So, over in uh, Judges chapter 6, we see God call Gideon. Uh, the angel of the Lord appears to him. The Gideon is very, very reluctant. Um, it's like the call of Moses at the burning bush. Um, we looked at last year, Exodus. So, in verse 12, uh, the angel comes to uh, Gideon and calls him a mighty man of valor. And Gideon's response, his first response, is actually to doubt God's goodness. So it's in verse 13. Gideon says, Please, my Lord, if the Lord is with us, then why has all this happened to us? And where are all these wonderful deeds that our fathers return to us, saying, Do not the Lord bring us out from Egypt, bring us up from Egypt? But now the Lord has forsaken us and given us into the hand of Midian. So Gideon doesn't say, hello, God, uh, it's an honor, it's a privilege to meet you. Um, no, uh, it's no, I'm not worthy. No, 
heading this strategy to finally write. He says, you know, where, God, where have you been? I told you did all these things in the past, but what have you been doing lately? Now, if I was God, just for that, just for that, I would have struck you down the line. Okay? But God or the angel tells him uh, to go in this mighty of yours and save Israel from the hand of the Lord. Do not I save you? So, Gideon, you want God to do something? I am doing something. I am sending you. But Gideon says to me, one person, Gideon says, I can't do it. Can't do it. My clan is the weakest in my tribe, and I am the weakest in my family. And the Lord God says to me, I will be with you. Now, this is almost enough for Gideon, but not quite enough. And so we saw that he still has doubts. Uh, verse 17, Gideon says, If I found faith in your eyes, then show me a sign. And the sign is, he prepares a friend of meat and bread cakes, and then goes to present it. Fire springs up out of nowhere and consumes the whole lot. And Gideon realizes it's God, and he's scared. He thinks, I'm going to die. But not just because it's God, but because of all these disrespectful things he's just said. But Gideon doesn't die. Instead, Gideon's given a job. Remove the idols, and to his credit, Gideon does it. But then later, if it goes to verse 36 of chapter 6, after Gideon's gotten a bit of a following, Gideon is having doubts again. And so we have this story that Tassie has encountered of Gideon putting out the fleece. Verse 36, Gideon says, If you will save Israel by my hand, as you said, behold, I'm laying out this fleece of wool and freshly floor. So he sets his test. He's going to lay out the wool and fleece on the ground overnight. And if the fleece gets wet, but the ground stays dry, well, then God's really telling him to leave his people to battle. And it happens. But Gideon is still looking for Maybe that's just what happens, right? So he says the opposite test. Right? I'll lay the fleece out again. And this time, if the ground is wet and the fleece is dry, well, then I'll know. Then Gideon is really God telling him to leave his ground to battle. And again, it happens. Sometimes Christians call this laying out of fleece. It's a good way of testing what God's will is for our life. And getting some kind of guidance. It's like a sort of Christian, you know, he loves me, he loves me, not kind of way of um, doing things, right? But hopefully you can see from the passage that this isn't good. It's bad. He could not be doing this. He is doing wrong. So the point of this passage, or this part of the passage, is not to tell us that this is a good way of getting the others, but rather it's to show us how weak Gideon's faith is, and yet how gracious and patient God is to assist with them. Um, for some of us, uh, one of the most stressful times in our lives uh, is having our driving test. Um, as I said, year 11, year 11 students often tell you one at a time that goes through the driving test without varying results. Um, we picture, looking back at looking back in time, we picture the assessor sitting expressionless in the front seat of the car with his clipboard folder, you know, watching your every move and waiting to catch you doing the wrong thing or not doing the right thing. 
it's easy for us to think of God being like this, especially in a book like Judges, which is so violent. It has so much destruction in it. But as terrible as sin is, and as serious as God's justice is, what we see here is that God is actually really gracious. He's really patient with us. He's not standing there waiting for us to fail, watching us with his good portfolio and his giant red pen, trying to catch us when we step up. Now, God, in the Bible, the picture we get is God as a father. He's willing us on, he's wanting us to try to see us do that next. Uh, but notice, notice the order of the jobs that Gideon is given to do. So Gideon is called by the angel of the Lord. He's told he's going to rescue Israel from the Midianites. But his first job isn't to get his army together or to fight the Midianites. He's told in verse 25 of verse 6, he's told, Take your father's bull, the second bull, seven years old, pull down the altar of Baal that your father has, and cut down the asteroid that's beside it, Build an altar to the Lord your God on top of the stronghold there. In other words, before he's going to fight the Midianites, he needs to get rid of his the idols and to bring people back to worship in God. That's point two in the God's more concerned with adoration than with the Midianites. See, the Midianites were not the main problem that the Israelites had. But the main problem they had was that they rejected God. It was their idolatry, their ungodliness. And see this back at the start of chapter 6. We see the other steps in the Bible. In verse 7, the people cry out to God, and this time, God sends them a prophet. But the message of the prophet is all bad news. So, uh, verse 7, um, or verse 8, the prophet says, Thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, I led you up from Egypt, I brought you out of the house of slavery, I delivered you from the hand of the Egyptians. In the hand of all who oppressed you and drove them out before you and gave you their land, I said to you, I am the Lord your God. You shall not fear the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell, but you have not obeyed my voice. And the message. See, there's nothing in this message about the Midianites. There's nothing about how God is going to raise Gideon to fight them and defeat them. Because their problem isn't the Midianites. Their problem is that they haven't listened to God's voice. Instead, they've been fearing the gods and the Amorites, the Baals and the Asherahs. And so the solution, the solution doesn't start with finding the Midianites. It starts with the devotion of God and dealing with the idols. Now, actually, I think this is a really important thing for us to hear. Because there are so many things that we can think of that are wrong with this world. Things with greed or sexual morality, all sorts of things, right? All sorts of things that we can see out there. Uh, these are all bad things, um, and they're things that we should try to fix. But at their core, what's wrong with our society is the rejection of God and the embrace of idolatry and ungodliness. And so we should try hard to make a difference to those things. But what God, what God most wants from us. Is he most wants our devotion and our holiness. It's true uh, even in our ministry. God wants people to tell us about Jesus. He wants us to invite people to church. He wants us to serve the walking or music or worshiping or preaching or whatever it is. But what he most wants from us is our holiness and our devotion. 
Gideon was told to get his own house in order. And it makes a difference. The whole town notices. They want to kill him. This just goes to show how strange a choice of judge Gideon is. Because not as if his dad had these little statues on his cupboard inside the house, they're like my parents' house. Um, it's, no, these eyes were so big, but so significant that the whole town noticed they were missing the next morning. It sounds as if Gideon's father was the town's priest of God. And so when Gideon takes it down, well, Gideon is given the nickname Jared Bowles. As the one who contends with Baal, or if you like, the Baal fighter. He's going to be the one who leads Israel's victory. But notice what he's going to be known for is his seriousness in taking on opportunity. As Christians, we want to be people who make a difference in our world. We want to be people who use our gifts to serve each other in our church and in the world. But we should want to most be known. Well, in chapter 7, as we go on, we see the story of how God, uh, how Gideon rather, leads Israel to victory over Gideon. And as here we see point 3, that God is able to do the impossible. And it's comical the way that God treats down the size of Gideon's army. He has a lot of men gathered, 32,000 men. It's a lot, but it's not nearly enough to count to take on the uncountable movement. But in verse 2, chapter 7, God says, The people with you are too many to give the Midianites into their hands. Let Israel boast over them, saying, My own hand is saved. Gideon and the people need to know that it's God who's doing this. And so God tells the men that we're scared, you can go home. So normally two thirds of the army go home. Then he left with 10,000 men. But God says, still too many. So he sets up this strange test about how people drink water. And whatever the mechanics of this, 97% of his men go to the same time. He's left with 300 men. Now, the point of this passage, the point of the story, it's not like these men were better or worse than the others. It's not that they were more or less prepared for battle. It's not that they were more or less devoted to God. The point is just that they were less of them. Ninety-seven cents. Three hundred weirdos out of ten thousand who drink water like dogs. Right, that's who God is choosing. Now, if Gideon had doubts before, what is it going to be like now? Right, God knows. God knows what Gideon's like. And so he tells him to go to the Midianite camp. And he overhears this conversation between the Midianites, our Midianite soldiers, about their dreams. And it's clear that even though there are lots and lots and lots of these Midianites, they are scared of Gideon. They are scared of him. They think they're going to lose. And so Gideon, as emboldened by this, he announced this brilliant but crazy plan. And then they're going to hold a trumpet, they're going to hold a glass jar for fortunate, and all together they're going to blow their trumpets and they're going to break their jars and call out a sword for the Lord and a sword for Gideon. So on one hand, they're holding their trumpet. On the other hand, they're holding their glass jar, their torch, their flaming stick. Notice what they're not holding. They're not holding a sword. 
good works. What happens? The meeting I have heard all these topics and seen all these burning sticks and heard all these voices, and it just must have just assumed that this army is much, 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 much bigger than it is. And so there's kind of a spread. They're running around fighting each other, and the ones that survive, they run away and defeated by the Israelites and the Pentecostals. It's a brilliant victory, but it's a really impossible one. That's the point. God is the one who can do the impossible. He's the one who defeats the uncountable Midianite army with his group of 300 dog-like incognitos. It's God who should get the glory. That's sort of what happens with God. Um, turn over to uh, Judges chapter 8, verse 22. Judges chapter 8, verse 22. Then the men of Israel said to Gideon, Rule over us, you and your son and your grandson also, for you have saved us from the hand of the dead. Gideon said to them, I will not rule over you, and my son will not rule over you. The Lord will rule over you. And Gideon said to them, Let me make a request to you. Every one of you, give me the earrings of the spoil, the golden earrings of the Israelites. And they answered, We will really get it them. And they spread a cloak, and every man filled the earrings of the spoil, and the weight of the golden earrings that he requested was 1,700 shekels, and 18 kilos of gold, beside the present ornaments and the pendants and the purple garments worn by the kings of Midian. And beside the collars that were around the necks of the camels. And Gideon made an ephod of it and put it in his city in Ophrah. And all Israel fought after it and became a snare to Gideon and his family. Gideon was subdued before the people of Israel, they raised it to the temple, and they had rest 40 years in the hands of Gideon. See, God is meant to be the one being glorified. But notice who the people want to glorify. They want to glorify Gideon. They think he has been their rescuer. He has been their leader. They want him to be their king, and then his son, and then his grandson. But, again, to Gideon's credit, he won't be their king. God should be their king. That's the legacy that he wants to leave. That's a fantastic response. But then he does something really dumb. He says, each of you give me some gold. So they each give him some gold, and he ends up with so much gold, you know, over 18 kilos of gold. And he's not going to, it's not like he's going to use it for financial stability. He's not using it to support his family. You know, after having done this great service to the people of Israel. No, he uses it to make an ephod, like an apron-looking kind of robe thing. And this ephod, it becomes almost like this statue that lives in his hometown, and people come from all around to come and worship it. They come to worship him. See, right back at the start, Gideon is told, he's told to tear down the idols in his father's house, to bring people back to worshiping God. But now, now that everything is done, now that all this victory has happened, Gideon stuffs up. He sets up a new idol to himself. 
And sadly, this is the legacy he ends up leaving. He's come so close to doing the right thing. He said he won't be king. God should be their king. But, well, he's done this great thing. So he wants just that little bit of honor for himself. And this is what happens. See, the same can happen for us. We can say that Jesus should get all the glory. But as soon as we start saying, you know what, maybe I did this really good thing. Maybe I should get a little bit of the glory too. And the whole thing becomes all over uh, we actually need to be ruthless. We need to be single-minded in making sure that we're doing everything so that Jesus is the one we're glorifying. Well, putting it all together, what does this mean for us? What does it mean to trust God? Well, it means trusting the God who is patient and gracious with us, even though, and even when we have our doubts. God isn't trying to trap us or judge us for doing the wrong thing. God wants us, He's willing us to try our best. Uh, what does it mean to trust God? Well, it means being concerned with our personal devotion to God and our holiness, getting our own hands to God before we make a difference, or as we make a difference. What does it mean to trust God? It means leaving a legacy where we point Jesus, point to Jesus as the one who deserves the glory. But what does it mean to trust God? Well, ultimately, it means putting our trust in the God who is able to do the impossible. In the story of Gideon, the impossible thing is not just that God defeats the Midianites with these 300 dog-like drinking weirdos, right? The impossible thing is also that God does it through Gideon. This reluctant, constantly doubting guy who lives in this place where he's got these giant statues to Baal and Asherah. See, God can do the impossible through us. It's impossible for sins to be forgiven. It's impossible to convince people who are dead in sin to see their need for forgiveness and come back to God. It's impossible by ourselves to be able to defeat God or to beat sin in our life. But God can do these impossible things. Actually, God has already done these impossible things in your life. And God can and will use you to keep doing these impossible things in our world. Um, back when I taught year 8 maths, uh, I, uh, I told my class that I had one rule, one expectation that I had to do all the time. Of one word, try. Try. If you spent half an hour at home working, even if you didn't finish all the homework, even if you didn't get all the answers right, you tried. That's what I wanted. In our Christian lives, we know that there are certain things that are good for us to do. Courageous in telling other people about Jesus, proactive in inviting people to church. Super faithful in praying, sacrificial in serving, generous in giving, disciplined in pursuing holiness and godliness. They are all fantastic things, but things that to us might seem impossible to do well. Well, Gideon is a good model for us. He's someone who's really reluctant. He doesn't think he can do it. But we see him grow in faith. We see him 
even though he remains flawed, we see him obedient. He drives, and God uses him to do the impossible. You and I, we might change the world in really big ways. We might bring social reforms. We might bring loads of people to Christ. We might grow lots of people in our church and our faith. We might grow massively in our own personal holiness. We might. I hope we do. But we might not. I mean, after all, these things are impossible. But, like on that class, God has one expectation. We try. And He gives us the same assurance that He gives Gideon. I am with you. And it's God who's the one who can do the impossible. Let's pray. Well, Heavenly Father, we confess that often we are reluctant. We're timid in our devotion to you, our holiness to our service. Help us to be people who trust that you can do the impossible. Help us to be people who remember all that you have done for us in the past through our Lord Jesus, so that we would try. And Father, we ask that through us, as we try, that you would do truly great, truly impossible things through us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.